0: Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. How are you guys doing today? Doing well? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. If I haven't got to meet you, my name's Robert. I get the privilege of being the pastor here, and it's an honor and privilege to have you here with us today, and we hope that you've enjoyed your time thus far, and we just pray that you make yourself feel at home. If you're joining us online, I just want to tell you you're welcome, and you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but they got to hear me sing during the first song. My mic was on, and apparently I was singing on the live stream. So I'm sure that it's on key, on pitch, on two. So if you want to have a good laugh... Go to the live stream after you leave here there and you can listen to it as you go to lunch and say, poor pitiful Robert. So anyway, it's all good. The Bible says make a joyful noise anyway. So uh, that's what I did. So I don't have any idea how it sounded or what I said, but it probably was not good. But anyway, so glad that you guys are here. And as we were talking about, you know, uh, the various things that we're involved in uh, in the community as a church, We'd love for you to be a part of that. We look forward to what God's going to continue to do. And as our Christmas parade approaches, and that's a great way to connect, great way to serve our community, great way to meet some other people here uh, in this local body and uh, find out some of who your church family is and get to know people. Uh, So one of the ways that you can also help participate if even if you do both of these, but uh, if you can't be at the parade and you can't help us serve, uh, could you help us make some cookies? Uh, that would be fantastic. One of the things that we normally do is hand out homemade uh, or home-baked uh, cookies. We'll take store-bought cookies. Now, just let me tell you, Kirk was alluding to it earlier. If you're going to buy store-bought cookies, if you want to buy the best brand, like uh, you go buy the Almond Joy cookies at Food City. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen, right? Yeah. It will change your life. It will change somebody else's life. And so, like, uh, you do, you do that. But if you could help bake those, put two in a bag, and then there's a couple of things you can do. You can either bring them here to the church, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, or you can drop them off, uh, pre-set up, uh, at the tent, uh, where we're going to be located over in front of Applebee's. That's where we've been for the last several years. And so, uh, what time are we going to be setting up, Kate? Five o'clock. So anytime before five o'clock or there at five o'clock, that would be great if you guys could bring those and help out in that capacity. We certainly uh, appreciate it. Well, if you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in a few places today. Uh, we're going to look at some uh, different scriptures this morning, and we're kicking off a brand new series. You'll have to bear with me a little bit. I had the crud this past week and so I'm recovering from that and uh, I know a lot of other people have been sick and all that kind of stuff. I'm not contagious by the way or anything so you don't have to worry about that. Um, um, but anyway, I wanted you to know that uh, if you could just bear with me if I kind of cough a little bit here or there. I'm trying to drink plenty of water, all that kind of stuff and so uh, we'll see how it goes. And then then again as Kurt said, I'd love for you guys if you can be here at the Volunteer Appreciation Night. You don't want to miss. It's going to be great, great time. Um, together. But we're kicking off a brand new series and we're, we've we entitled this Christmas list. Now, I don't know about you, but like I remember putting together a Christmas list. Do you guys remember doing that? Do you remember? Some of you wrote letters to Santa and all that kind of stuff and everything. Some of you wrote stuff to mom and dad. And even, you know, to this day, like, you know, our kids uh, get a text from my wife and she says, all right, listen, I'm about to go Christmas shopping and I need your list. You know what? You know, they kind of tell us like, I'd like this, 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 this. And then like, I look at it real quick and I'm like, well, that's not happening. And that's not happening and that's." <laughs> (laughs) That's definitely not happening, and so like you know, I could be the Grinch and say, "All right, they can have this, this. They can have socks and underwear." So anyway, that's that's it, right? And some fruit, and that's how I grew up. So anyway, I'm just kidding. But I, you know, we had, we made Christmas lists, like you got all these wishes and all these aspirations, all these thoughts of things that you think that you absolutely need. Now, I remember one year that I did this, one of the things that I asked for was an Atari. Do you guys remember what an Atari was? Okay. This was, this was one of the first video games. I know Pong predates this, all right. And some of you remember Pong, but uh, we actually had one of those at our house as well. But I wanted an Atari, right? And so it had like various games and stuff and had a little controller joystick and, you know, it tried to duplicate and replicate some of the games that were at the actual arcade that I went to, enjoyed, and all those different types of things. And so I had this one thing, the one thing that I wanted, the one thing that I needed, right? My other friends had an uh, an Atari. They had games, and I was just thinking, like, we're going to be able to share games, and we're going to be able to talk about, and I'm going to be good at those games so that when I play them, like, hopefully I got a chance to win. And these are all the thoughts I had, like, when I was in, like, fifth grade at this moment, this maybe fourth grade. And so anyway, I wanted an Atari. It was the one thing that I wrote over and over and over again. It's kind of like, you know, Ralphie and the Red Ryder BB gun. Just any way that I could hint to my mom and dad that I wanted an Atari and I needed an Atari and they had to make sure that I had an Atari, like I went extra effort and did that. So anyway, um, we we go all throughout Christmas and I'm doing all the, you know, propaganda and things that I can do on my end to ensure that I'm going to get this gift. And so here it comes Christmas morning. And there was this one particular gift that you know how it is like when you the gifts start to get under the tree like when you're a kid like you go and you begin to shake the gifts right you know you want to kind of see what's what and oh that's a shirt and oh I, those are definitely socks and I'm not gonna you know act like I don't even see that one over there and, and all that kind of stuff and then I picked up the one and I was like this has to be it. It felt like, you know, the exact weight of what an Atari was. Like when you shook the box, it had some volume to it. And I was just like, this is definitely it. And Christmas is going to be fantastic. It's going to be amazing. My life is going to make sense. It's going to be great. And everything is going to be perfect. And so here it is Christmas morning. And I'm opening up the gifts. And I'm saving this last one right here because, right, it's definitely the gift that I have been asking for, the gift that I have been waiting for. And so I get to it and I begin to open it up. And as I open it, it doesn't say Atari; it says "in television." That's what I said on Christmas morning. Like that's like this is uh, this is hogwash. Christmas is ruined. That's what was going on my. I knew not to verbally say that aloud, but like that was what I was thinking in my heart. And there was this look of disgust on my face and disappointment, right? Because I simply asked for an Atari, but what I got was an Intellivision. Now some of you may not even know what an Intellivision is. It was a competing game uh, console to Atari and I had never really seen it. I'd never really played it. I really didn't know much about it. I knew that it didn't have a joystick. It had like two things that almost looked like TV remote controls that you slide these little things in and that's how you play the games and you push these buttons and it's had a little round thing at the bottom cylinder thing that you just kind of move from side to side and circled around and all that different kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and so like, but what I didn't know, like, so I was just really, really disappointed This wasn't the gift that I expected. This wasn't the gift that I had asked for. And I thought that, listen, this isn't going to make my life any better. But what I actually found out when I began to play this is that Intellivision actually had better graphics than Atari. Intellivision, right, it had some better games that Atari didn't even have. And what I found out is a lot of my friends, they wanted to come over to my house and play because I had something that nobody else had. Right. This gift that I didn't expect, this gift that I didn't think that I need, this gift that I didn't think that I wanted turned out to be more than I could ever think or even imagine. It was a wonderful gift and I enjoyed playing it and I have fond memories of that over and over and over again in my head. Now, think about that just for a moment. Here's where this comes to us. Like people in the world, like we have this thing of what we think life should look like and what we need in our life and what's best for our life and 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 at what times we need it and so on and so forth. And we have all these lists and all these expectations. And the world at the time before Jesus was born had this expectation, had was looking and longing for the Messiah to come they been prophesied about, they'd read about it in the Old Testament, how God was going to send a deliverer, a king to rule. And they were looking for a militant leader, somebody to help them come out from the oppression of the Roman government. Right. It was going to lead them and be the prominent people that God had called them to be. This was the king that they were looking for. This was the Messiah that they were longing for. This was what the Messiah look like to them and that they were anticipating, but when Jesus came, it was completely and totally unexpected. And we're gonna look at this unexpected gift that not only was important, and it may not been what the people thought that they wanted or what they actually were looking for, but turned out to be the gift that everyone needs and still needs today. And so we're going to look at the unexpected gift and Jesus being the unexpected gift and how that correlates to our lives today. The first thing that I want you to see if you've got your Bibles, and we're going to look at a verse in Romans 5, 12, and then we'll look at verses 18 of chapter 5 this morning. But we're talking about Jesus being the unexpected gift. What does that mean and how does this affect my life? Well, when we look at Scripture... I want us to see the contrast between the first man and the Savior, Jesus. Now, this is a verse where it says, When Adam sinned, again, Adam being created, Adam and Eve created in the garden. And when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, the result of sin, the penalty of sin. Right? We read in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone because at this point, for everyone is sin, right? We're born with a sinful nature. Now listen to what it says in verse 18. If you guys are with me, say, I am. am. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, referring to Adam there. But this last part of the scripture is referring to the last Adam, but because one other person obeyed God, Jesus, many will be made righteous. You see, we see two things that were both unexpected when we talk about the world. First and foremost, Adam blew it for everybody, right? We can blame him. We can say he sinned. He fell short. He disobeyed God. And because of that, a sinful nature has been transferred. It's called federal headship. Like if you like to look in theological circles and things of that nature, but that sin had been transferred down to the human race. And so we're all born into sin and, 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 and it marred the image of God that we were created with. And so the good news though is that Jesus came and this is This is very fundamental. This is very elementary, but I want to set this up and I want you to see this and I want you to understand this. The good news is, is that Jesus came and he took our sin and he's made a way to give new life and a right relationship with God. And that's good news. That's why the good news is called the good news. The good news is still the gospel. The gospel still saves and changes people's lives. There's only one way to be right with God, and it's through the gift that he gave, that unexpected gift, Jesus, who made all things right, who is able to reconcile all things. And the reason that this gift was totally unexpected is I want you to think about this. Nobody expected, right? We're talking about the Messiah to come. Nobody expected God to give his own son. No one expected the sinless. die for the sinful. It completely caught people off guard. Nobody expected Jesus to become a man and God in the flesh and suffer willingly on our behalf. No one expected the King of Kings to be born in a dirty manger, in a stable. Nobody expected any of that. No one could dream this up. When you think about other religions outside of Christianity, right, it has God as just like an angry being who wants people to work hard to appease him. But when we see the gospel, we see that God's love compelled him to act, and he made a way, even though that we had sinned, even though that we didn't deserve his forgiveness, even though that we had fallen short, he made a way so that we could be forgiven. Nobody could dream this up. Our Jesus, our Savior, is surprising and unexpected, but what we need to remember today is that he's exactly what we need. He's exactly what we need. It's what people needed then, it's what people need now. The only hope that we have is Jesus, and I know a lot of you guys have have been doing like Advent devotions, and 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 you've been keeping an Advent calendar, and that's fantastic and wonderful, and I'm so thankful and grateful that Laura has sent out to our families who have kids and kids ministry, sent them out a calendar and a devotion that they could uh, go by and that they can do together as families, and it's a wonderful thing. But when you think about uh, Advent, right? There's four principles in Advent. There's hope. You know, is the very first one. And when you think about like hope is a wonderful thing. Hope brings life. Hope means new beginnings. Hope means restoration. Hope means that God has something so great and so wonderful each and every one of us. And it's a wonderful, true gift. And so when we talk about Jesus being the gift that everybody needs and still needs today, he also brought some other gifts that go along with it. Like, you know, when I was thinking about my television, again, there's no comparison between television, and we're talking about the savior of the world right here, okay? I want you to get that. But we have finite minds and I'm trying to do the best that I can. But like when I got that television, right, not only was it a gaming console, something that I asked for, something that, you know, I thought that I needed, but it brought so much more with it that I didn't even expect or even could look to. And the same goes when we begin to enter in a personal relationship with Jesus, right? There's things that God offers, there's things that God continues to bring that are just totally unexpected. I want to share a few things of those with you this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing is the unexpected gift of sympathy. I want you to know that we serve a sympathetic God. You know, when I think about myself in my own life as a rebel who was rebelling against the king of kings Lord of Lords, I didn't deserve sympathy. And the truth of the matter is, is that each and every one of us by nature, we're rebellious people, right? If you've ever seen people, like if you take elementary school kids and you walk them down a hall and if there was a sign on the wall that says, do not touch wall, what are every one of those kids going to do? They're going to touch the wall. Right. It's like when your mom and you're standing there at the stove and they're telling you like, hey, listen, when that gets red, don't touch it. And you're like, well, I wonder what would happen. And it's like your hand begins to sizzle. Right. And it's not bacon burning through the house. Right. It's your finger burning through the house. And so anyway, like, you know, we're just by nature, like we're, we're by we're rebellious people. And God would have been just and holy and he could have every right just to remain holy and just and smite us because of our sin, and live eternity far away, detached from us. But here's the beauty of the Christmas story. Here's the beauty about why we celebrate the king becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Listen to this, that this king, this baby that was born would grow to be a man. And this man is the son of God who would eventually become sin and take on the sin of the world for our guilt, for our shame. And the beauty of the Christmas story is that God did the opposite. Even though he had the right to smite us, even though that he had the right to do away with us, he chose to send Jesus and engaged us and lived among us, and he associated with our struggles. And we have a Savior who can sympathize even with our weaknesses and the things that we go through and encounter in life. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, this high priest of ours. Now, when you go and you read in the Old Testament, uh, the people would go to the priest and the priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And when Jesus died on the cross, there wasn't a need for a high priest anymore. He became the high priest It said that when Jesus died and he breathed his last breath, that there was a veil that uh, was in front of the Holy of Holies, which represented the presence of God. And only the high priest could go back there on the day of atonement. But when Jesus died and literally breathed his last breath, the scripture says that the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, saying that, listen, we could all come before the presence of God. And we don't have to go to anybody. We can pray with one another. You can come to me as a pastor and say, hey, will you pray for me? And I can do that. But listen, here's what I want you to know. Here's what's great about it. Each and every one of you, if you are in Christ, you have a high priest you go directly to. You can go directly to the throne room. You can go directly to Jesus himself. And he intercedes and he understands. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Listen to what I said before he Faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. You remember last week when we were talking about the importance of silence and solitude and getting alone with God and hearing from God. And it said that Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness. And there, when he was in the wilderness, what happened? He was tempted by the enemy. He did not sin, yet he held on to God's truth, but he faced everything that you and I face day in and day out. And this is what I want you to know, that Jesus understands some of you are hurting. Some of you are experiencing difficulty in your life. Some of you are going through a really hard time and sometimes life doesn't make sense and sometimes it feels like that God has abandoned you. But I want you to know that Jesus sympathizes with you. He understands your hurt and he cares for your needs because he truly is the son of God. (coughs) I dare say that anybody has asked for sympathy on their Christmas list this year. But here's the deal. Jesus knew we needed it, and he gave us exactly what we need. Here's the other thing that I want you to see that comes with knowing Jesus, this other unexpected gift. It's also the gift of fulfillment. Like, when you give your life to Jesus, like, my belief is that's when you really truly begin to know life. You say, well, Robert, how can you say that? Well, I'll just know how I was before I gave my life to Jesus. And listen, I grew up in the church. I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid. So I knew scripture, I knew hymns. I'd been to Bible school. I would help in a lot of things. I'd served in a lot of different activities. But when I was growing up, I had never surrendered my life to Christ. I may have prayed a prayer. I may have gotten wet, but I never truly surrendered my life to Jesus. And I went through the motions. And I was trying to find fulfillment in so many other things. When I was growing up, my goal was I wanted to be liked by everybody else. I wanted to be accepted by everybody else. And I always hated, you know, people saying, well, aren't you a preacher's kid? And I felt like that I had to go above and beyond to prove that, listen, that's what my dad did. That's not who I am. Because I wanted to find fulfillment by the acceptance of other people. If I could just be accepted in my life, would be whole and when you get accepted by people you know what you find out I still feel empty there's still something missing there still has to be something more to life and so then I began to pursue it's like well if I can just get my degree right I don't know what kind of college plan you were on I was on the 20-year plan And and so like, you know, but anyway, it took longer than just the four years. And so but I thought, like, if I could just get this, if I could just complete this, if I could just finish this right, my life will make sense. I'll be able to get a good job. I'll be able to do what I want to do. I can teach school. I can coach basketball. Life's going to be great. And as I'm doing that and I'm approaching that, you know what I found myself, I found myself empty because an occupation will not fulfill you. Well, if I could just get married and I just have kids and and I can go on and on and on and on in my life, you know, and we got the house and we got the picket fence and, you know, our kids always make up their bed in the morning and they say, good morning, father, and good morning, mother, and our life's going to be great and perfect. And then you actually experience that and it's nothing like that. It's like when you say your kids, like when they hit middle school, it's like when you say hello, it's like, I can't even believe you're talking to me right now. It's like. <laughs> And you find yourself, if that's your hope, you find yourself, what? Empty. But when I surrender my life to the Lord, and I truly humbled myself to the Lord, and say, God, here's my life, and when I'm in those moments to where that God is working and moving. Sometimes it's me reading scripture and God just speaking to me, the Holy Spirit's just moving and I'm writing things down and I'm hearing what the Lord's saying. Sometimes it's in those moments to where that uh, you're out and about and the Holy Spirit intercedes and works and says, listen, I want you to minister in this capacity. And you know, it could be inconvenient, but you do it and you get to see God work and move. Like that's fulfilling. Like, I want to I want to experience that. I want to know that. And that's what God wants us to have in our own heart, in our own life, right? He gives us the unexpected gift of fulfillment. When we truly begin to know Jesus, we begin to understand that he is what life is about. Because so many people lie in bed at night and they look up at the sky and they ask themselves this question. There has to be more to life than this. There has to be more than going to bed, getting up in the morning, going to my job, doing my thing, coming home, eating, maybe watch a few minutes of TV, tell the kids good night, go to bed, do it all again the next day. And just live for the weekend where they guys have a few hours just to kind of sleep in or whatever. There has to be more to life than this. And the answer to that is there is. And it's Jesus. And when you find your worth and when you find your value, when you find your hope, when you find your life in Him, He brings that about. He satisfies your soul. This is why the psalmist said in Psalm 107, verse 9, he understood this because he said, for He, talking about the Lord, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul, listen to what it says, He fills with what? Good things. Just as when your favorite dish satisfies that hunger that you have. I don't know what yours is, but man, there's nothing like, to me, it's like, you know, fresh-made lasagna. Somebody say, praise the Lord, right? It's getting lunchtime, just thinking about it. And when my wife makes it, I mean, it's like, it's on point. And I don't know, understand all the dynamics of how it all happens and everything, but I just know that when she puts it in the oven, God does something supernatural in that moment. And like when you bring it out, it's like the Shekinah glory right there. All over, like you just take that bite and it satisfies, right, in that moment. Well, that's why Peter talked about in the scriptures, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like when you have experienced God and when you have seen God move in your heart and when God begins to work and when God begins to squeeze your heart and God begins to move on your life, right, there is nothing more satisfying than that. The psalmist knew that it was only God that could find, that where he could find satisfaction in his soul. And that's also why St. Augustine said this, Our souls are restless until they find rest in thee. But the enemy comes to wreak havoc and to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've came so that they can have life and have it abundantly. Filled with joy, peace, love, and satisfaction. And sometimes we lose sight of that in the midst of the chaos and what's happening around us. And we try to find it in empty things. It's kind of like, I remember that one, another year, my mom and dad got a little wise. Cause my brother and I, I don't know how you guys were growing up or anything. Uh, we, we like to peek under the Christmas tree. Anybody else do that? And, you know, there was kind of an art to it, right? Like you had to, you know, kind of find that, where that tape had been, and you just kind of slide under there and just peel it back, and you would just kind of look, and you would, you would kind of know, like, all right, that one right there, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But I remember my parents would always say, like, does anybody know what happened to this present over here? And there'd be like this gash. My brother wasn't great at it, and there'd be like this <laughs> Gash on the side. It's like I oh, don't know. I haven't been over there. Uh, I don't know who touched that. You know, uh, just kind of play, pleading the fifth there. But the following year, I remember my mom set out this these presents, and there was a few presents, but there was this one present that stood out from the rest, and it had this like shiny wrapping paper. That's why I brought this gift like this because it was a little bit shiny, but it had that shiny paper on it and you know it had the bow around it and I mean it was just it stood head and shoulders out above the rest and every time that I would walk into the room I would think like I need to look and see what that present is like that's probably got something that I want it's probably got something that I need it's probably something got something that's going to make my life so much better and every day that I would walk in there like you know as a third or fourth grader I would look it's like man I want to go open that present and then one day I just walked in and thought to myself, like, you know what, Robert, you deserve that. Like, you've earned that. You've, you've been great this year. Like, man, you're so respectful to your parents and you, you just help people. And man, you're just uh, like little Timmy Tool or whatever his name is. I don't know. What was the kid? In, um, anyway, Tiny Tim. Yeah, Timmy Tool. That's a different cartoon altogether, right? When you have multiple kids, they just get, you know, all those things get just, like, jungled up. But anyway. Tiny Tim. Did you say Tiny Tim? Not Tiny. Was it Tiny Tim? Okay. All right. Cool. But anyway, I was like, I need this, right? I, I need this. And so I remember I just thought, like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother with, like, you know, just trying to rip and t- I'm just going to open it. And so I did. I just opened it up. And when I opened it up, do you know what was in there? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it's like, Dad got my parents. <laughs> Point of it is, is that the thing that I thought that I needed that was gonna make my life better was just an empty box. And how often is that true in our own life to where we just get distracted by shiny things that the world has to offer that puts in front of us, to where that we think, and it may not necessarily be a bad thing, but we think in some way, somehow, this is going to bring fulfillment, contentment into my life. But Jesus has given us the gift of fulfillment. There's another real quick before we close this morning. And that's Jesus also brought the unexpected gift of humility. What does it mean to be humble? It means to think lowly of oneself. In other words, that we put other people before that we put ourselves, that we have a humble spirit. When you think about Jesus, right, he came from humble beginnings. He had humble circumstances. He began life with very little. And when you think about it, it's really odd to think about the savior of the world. Think about the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied about, the one that had been proclaimed, the one that people longed for. And when you think about a king coming, like you would think that they would just be some of this, this extravagant, you know, welcoming uh, him into this earth and to this time and to this period. But when we look at the birth of Jesus, it was nothing like that. It was a very humble beginning. And not only was it a humble beginning for him, it's something he willingly did, but it's something that he extends to you and I through his grace and through his goodness. Because when Jesus came, he came to a lowly stable. He was born amongst a lowly couple with a lowly bed, a lowly bank account, And he even invited the lowly shepherds to be the first to greet him. What an unexpected gift that our God, our King, our Lord would care about lowly things. And the reason that that is important is because you and I are lowly. You and I have mess. You and I have circumstances, but yet we have a God who stoops down to meet us exactly where we are. He stooped down from his heavenly throne to meet us in the mud and the messiness of our lives. And what an unexpected gift that is. I want to read uh, an excerpt that I got from uh, Max Lakato. I was reading this and he was talking about how we have a God who stoops and how thankful that we need to be that we have a God who stoops. And And, and this is taken from John chapter 8. And as I read it, man, it just really like gripped my heart. And I pray that it would grip your heart today as well. But it says in John chapter 8, tells us a story about Jesus and an adulterous woman who was awakened to voices. The voices yanked her out of bed. Get up, you harlot. What kind of woman do you think that you are? It said, priest slammed, opened the door, threw back the window curtains and pulled the covers. And before she felt the warmth of the morning sun, she felt the heat of their scorn. "'Shame on you. You're pathetic. Absolutely disgusting.'" She scarcely had time to cover her body before they marched her through the narrow streets. Dogs yelped. Roosters ran. Women leaned out their windows. Mothers snatched children off the path. Merchants peered out the doors of their shops. Jerusalem became a jury and rendered its verdict with glares and crossed arms. And as if the bedroom raid and parade of shame were inadequate, the men thrust her into the middle of the morning Bible class. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now the law of Moses says to stone her, but what do you say? As it said in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 5. Stunned people were, students on one side, arrogant religious people on the other. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Her accusers, crowd, caught in the very act, in the moment, in the arms, in the passion, caught in the very act by the Jerusalem Council of Decency and Conduct. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say, Jesus? Here's what we need to know about this woman, that she had no exit. Deny the accusation? I mean, she had been caught. Plead for mercy? From whom? From God? His spokesmen were squeezing stones and snarling their lips. Nobody would speak for her. But somebody stooped for her. Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust. As it says in John 8, 6, Now, we would expect him to stand up, step forward, or even ascend, a stair, and speak. But instead, he leaned over. He descended lower than anyone else beneath the priest, the people, even beneath the woman. The accusers looked down on her. To see Jesus, they had to look down even further. The crowd grew impatient with silence, stooping Jesus. They kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up, John 8, 7. He lifted himself up until his shoulders were straight and his head was high. He stood not to preach, for his words would be few, not for long, for he would soon stoop again, not to instruct his followers. He didn't address them. He stood on behalf of the woman. He placed himself between her and the lynch mob and said, all right, stone her. But let those who have never sinned Throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. John 8, 7, and 8. Name callers shut their mouth. Rocks fell to the ground. Jesus resumed his scribing. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. But Jesus wasn't finished. He stood one final time and asked the woman, Where Are your accusers. See, here's the point of all of this Jesus is prone to stoop. He stooped to wash the feet of his disciples, he stooped to embrace children, he stooped to pull Peter out of the sea to pray in the garden. Grace is a God who stoops. Here he stooped to ride in the sand. He stooped to take on flesh. He stoops to enter into our mess. He stooped low enough to sleep in a manger, work in carpenter's shop, sleep in a fishing boat, low enough to rub shoulders with crooks and lepers. He stooped before the Roman whipping post, stooped to carry the cross, low enough to be spat upon, slapped, nailed, and speared, low, low enough to be buried for you and me, and then he stood." He stood up from the slab of death, defeating death, hell, and the grave. Upright in Joseph's tomb and right in Satan's face, tall, high, as he stood up for the woman and silenced her accusers. He does the same for you and I. He stands and he silenced the acquisition of our enemy. That's the type of humility from the creator of the universe, the king of heavens. This is an unexpected gift. Indeed. Amen. I'm thankful that we have a God who's willing to meet us in the midst of our mess. And the result of that is, is that he offers salvation to us all. The whole point of Jesus coming was so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and that we could have a personal relationship with God. That's why it says in Luke 2, verse 7, it says, she gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. No room in the inn, born in a barn, a trough for a bed. Why would the king of kings leave the splendor of heaven and subject himself to this kind of unsanitary loneliness? The simple answer is simply this. He loved. He loved us and he still loves us. And he knew exactly what we needed, even if it wasn't on our list. And that's true today. He knows what you need at this very moment, even if you don't right now. He knows and he's aware. So how should we respond to this amazing gift from God? Well, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus, right, it starts with a relationship with him. It starts with knowing him personally. There has to come a point in time to where that you humble yourself before the Lord. You acknowledge that He is God. You acknowledge that you need Him. You acknowledge that you sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's not a matter of how religious you are. It's not a matter about how much Bible you read or how many songs or hymns that you know and sing. It's have you truly repented of your sin and surrendered your life to Jesus? Has there come a point in time to where that you've personally humbled yourself before the Lord and surrendered everything that you are and have to Him? And when you do, Here's what I know, God forgives you and brings you into the family of God. And you are saved, you are forgiven. You have a hope that is real, that is certain, that is unshakable. Doesn't mean that life will be perfect from this moment on. It means that you have a Savior who is with you every step of the way that'll never leave you, never forsake you. There for the journey. But what if you're a believer today? What if you already have a relationship Well, I believe the the challenge for you and I today is simply this. Just as Jesus was willing to stoop, the question is, is, are we willing to stoop on behalf of others? to share this great love, to share this great truth, to share this great gift that God has given us? Are we willing to humble ourselves before the King and say, Lord, here is my life. Use it for your kingdom, use it for your glory, use it however you see fit. Let me be a light, help me to shine your love and your grace and your mercy wherever I am for your kingdom. That's the call that God's placed for us. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you to Jesus. And maybe you need to lay some things down at His feet. Maybe right now you've been searching for things and you've been trying to find fulfillment in certain things and you have got distracted. And I just pray that you would allow the Lord to be the Lord in your life in this moment. We're going to sing right now. We're going to have a time where we have a time of response and we're going to sing a song. And as we sing today, if you need to talk about faith, if you need to talk about a relationship with God, I invite you to come this morning. Love to help you. Love to talk with you. I'd love to share with you how you can surrender your life to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've got some things on your heart that are heavy and that you want to pray about, pray for. Maybe life's just hard right now and you just need to lay some things at the feet of Jesus today. Then I invite you to come, whatever the need is, whatever that looks like this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.